The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's uh, Monday. You're watching Squawk Box. We're live in Paris. We're live in Moscow. And of course, Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, here in London. These are your headlines. Stocks across Asia tumble following a sharp sell-off on Wall Street as an inverted yield curve stokes fears of a potential U.S. recession. Speaking first to CNBC, the Chicago Fed President Charles Evans talked down the chances of a major downturn. Special counsel Robert Mueller finds President Trump's campaign did not collude with Russia in the 2016 presidential election but it stopped short of a full exoneration of the president. There was no collusion with Russia. There was no obstruction and none whatsoever. And it was a complete and total exoneration. Britain's Brexit crisis rumbles on after UK Prime Minister Theresa May fails to reach an agreement with hardline rebels within her party during a high stakes talks at Chequers. Italy officially endorses China's Belt Road Initiative, signing up to a series of investment deals as Deputy Prime Minister Luigi Di Maio tells CNBC exclusively the U.S. has nothing to worry about. They are our allies and that we understand their concerns. But the contents of the MOU that we are signing tomorrow contains nothing for them to worry about. Market fears are back. It seems like we've been rallying since the lows in December, but the markets again rattled, this time by fears of a U.S. recession. You've seen this really flash up around the yield curve, the inversion that took place Friday session between the three-month and the 10-year. So what have we got across Asia now this morning? Very sharp falls for the Japanese stock market, trading down 650 points or more than 3%. Very sharp fall across on that Japanese market in particular as the safe haven yen has come back into the mix. Investors picking up that trade. We've got the highest levels in about six weeks on the yen versus the dollar. Hang Seng trades down by close to 5 points or 1.7%. The percentage drop not as great as the Japanese market, but you can still feel some pressure there at Chinese stocks trading down by 1%. A lot of money has poured in to the Chinese market of late, some of it on hopes that the Chinese authorities are doing enough to stimulate and mitigate against some of the downward pressure that's been triggered by China's own measures as well as the, the spat with the United States on trade. And of course, the MSCI inclusion of more Chinese stocks in the index has created some momentum. So that may just be trimming some of the red ink we're seeing there by comparison today. Shenzhen only down by about a third of a percent. So much more contained around the China markets versus what you've got in Japan. I want to show you that U.S. market as we closed up shop on Friday. You can see uh, steep falls, particularly for the Nasdaq. And this has been one of the risks as you've had a very uh, low yield environment. Now investors changing their view on what the Fed will do this year. As we saw two rate hikes 
scrapped and replaced with a zero. That uh, has propelled money back into the high-risk areas of the market, in particular technologies. So on a downbeat day now, as investors fear around what may happen with the U.S. economy, it was technology stocks that were hard hit in particular, down 2.5%. Right across the board, we saw losses for the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, Dow Jones Transports, Russell 2000, for instance, of small cap stocks having their worst trading days since 2019. And what we've got by sectors now, utilities was the lone positive sector in session yesterday and that does reflect a yield story very yield sensitive part of the markets typically when yields go up utilities are hit so in reverse as we've now seen a change in assumptions around the fed utilities were protected other parts of the market, though, contributing to this reading behind me, materials, financials in particular, because of that yield story, with a lot of uh, analysts now raking back over their, their NIMS assumptions, net interest margins for the banks. So financials are having a very weak trading uh, few days, laggard for the week, the worst trading week since 2019 because of this yield story. Now, take a look at the US 10-year note. 2.43 is what we've got the yield on that now trading at versus the three-month. And this is where the fear is at 2.4. Five, you can see two basis point spread where the three month is actually trading higher than the long end. Typically, you get rewarded for duration holding on to bonds for much longer. So the 10 year should be trading much higher. What we've got versus the five year. 2.23, so the 10 is still yielding more than what you've got on that five-year, but it is that three-month we're all watching very, very closely, and uh, that has triggered fears, as in the past there has been a signaling function from this inversion of the yield curve that has been foretelling a recession. The question whether that is the case this time around, you may recall we were spooked by similar fears, uh, fears late last year, but it was the two and the tens that investors were watching. Let me take you to what we're seeing on the opening calls here in Europe as a result. We're also looking like we'll play catch up. Red arrows on the board, 77 down for the Italian market. And you can see right across these core European markets, we're chasing some losses. More Brexit uncertainty too around the fortunes of Theresa May this week and whether there can be any support coming through for her Brexit deal that would enable a longer extension to uh, the 29th of March, which we had pushed out to April, but a longer extension uh, further down the track after that as well. Meantime, Blackstone CEO Steve Schwartzman played down market concerns, telling CNBC at the China Development Forum that the real economy was still growing. I think markets uh, are, you know, tend to overreact. Um, you know, Europe is soft. China is soft relative to what people would like it to be. Um, and, and so they assume that, you know, this, this one day uh, inversion of one ratio uh, is determinative. Um, we, we have um, sort of labor rates, um, you know, going up at record levels. Uh, in, in other words, I think it was 3.4% uh, last month in terms of incomes going up disproportionately at the bottom end uh, of, of, of the, the um, uh, wealth uh, area. Uh, we, we have pretty close to full employment. Uh, and these things tend to be somewhat uh, sustaining. Uh, and, and the fact that markets got very nervous, um, uh, I leave up to markets, uh, but I think the real economy is, is, is continuing to grow, whether it's 2.5% this year uh, or 24 Nobody's smart enough to know those types of things.
Okay, Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian meddling in the 2016 US election found no evidence of collusion between President Trump's campaign and Moscow. Uh, the US Attorney General William Barr released a summary of Mueller's conclusions. Barr said Mueller's 22-month probe did not find enough evidence to warrant charges against Mr. Trump or indeed his campaign. However, questions linger around claims that Mr. Trump obstructed justice by firing the former FBI director James Comey in 2017. Barr said, quote, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. Uh, president Trump hailed Mr. Barr's summary as proof of his innocence, whilst Democrats called for the release of more information from Mueller's investigation. NBC's Jennifer Johnson has the latest. President Trump declaring victory. It was a complete and total exoneration. It's a shame that our country had to go through this. Late Sunday afternoon, Attorney General William Barr released a four-page summary of Special Counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation. Mueller didn't draw a conclusion of whether the president obstructed justice. But Barr says the Mueller report concludes the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. Mueller's investigation lasted almost two years. He issued more than 2,800 subpoenas. This was an illegal takedown that failed. While the White House celebrates, Democrats are still leading several congressional investigations. There are also ongoing state and federal probes that may involve the president and his family members. So we're going to move forward with our investigations of obstruction of justice, uh, abuses of power, corruption, to defend the rule of law, which is our, which is our job. Mueller left the possibility of an obstruction of justice charge up to Barr. Barr declined to do so. But Democrats aren't convinced. We need to see all of the information there to make a conclusion, to get information, to let the public make a decision on whether there was obstruction of justice. The Mueller investigation is over, but Democrats not ready to end this. Jennifer Johnson, NBC News, Washington. Meanwhile, a Trump lawyer told NBC that the White House will not ask for a copy of Mueller's full report. The president, who has long described the investigation as a witch hunt, tweeted on Sunday that the report was proof of, quote, no collusion, no obstruction. Well, Jeff joins us from Moscow with the Russian reaction to Mueller's findings. Jeff, when we see the initial reaction from the United States, it seems one for Trump and the Republicans, nil for the Democrats. But is it as clear cut as that when there could be more in the way of obstruction of justice coming, more legal woes? How do you see the story being digested from Russia to the United States? Well, at the moment, I think there's a watching brief here, Karen. The official reaction from the government has, has been a very simple and terse one line. We have not read the report. And so at this stage, they are offering very little else on the record. Of course, we've uh, talked to sources within the Kremlin and they've told CNBC that accusations of Russian interference in the US election process are not news to us and that the narrative has continued in this vein for some time. And as far as they're concerned, there isn't any significant change in the status quo as a result of the release of the Mueller report and the four-page letter 
that the Attorney General, William Barr, has sent to Congress. So for the time being, I think there is a, a deafening silence here in Moscow with regard to real reaction to the latest on this story. But let's make it clear, whilst um, it does appear to suggest there was no evidence of collusion, as the Attorney General points out, the first part of the Mueller investigation deals comprehensively with accusations of Russian election meddling. And of course, uh, we've seen 25 Russian nationals indicted and over 100 indictments levied over the course of these 22 months. So I think uh, Moscow very aware that uh, the issue of interference and of attempting to manipulate social media in the United States still very much remains on the ledger. But for the time being, I think there's very little interest in stirring up more of a hornet's nest around this story, Karen. Yeah, Jeff, I'll just jump in here and good to see you back in Moscow. Look, look, I, I actually read the uh, William Barry letter as well, and I've got the, the pertinent piece for you here as well. The, the special counsel found that Russian government actors successfully hacked into computers and obtained emails from persons affiliated with Clinton campaign uh, and the uh, Democratic Party organizations, etc., etc., etc. But just to add to that, Jeff, there is clear and present danger to elections in the United States, uh, as underlined by evidence given by Dan Coates, of course, uh, who, as director of national intelligence, uh, said that Russian cyber attacks did occur. They occurred in the midterms as well. And of course, this investigation was in 20. 16, uh, and also found that, yes, uh, future presidential elections are in danger of being um, subjected to hacking and interference from foreign powers, including Russia as well. January 29th, Coates told the Senate Intelligence Committee that Russia and three other nations would try to interfere in the next presidential race as well. Uh, I totally understand what you're saying when the Russians don't want to stir this up any further, certainly overtly. Yes, Steve. I mean, effectively, all you've done is summarise what we've heard over the course of the Mueller investigation. Um, we know that there were 12 individuals that were indicted by Mueller, who uh, he claims are part of the military intelligence uh, unit, the main uh, directorate, or what was the GRU. So those 12 are among the 25 uh, Russian nationals who've already been cited as being involved in manipulation of social media and, of course, in the hacking of emails and websites. Um, the, the ongoing issue of uh, whether uh, there will be um, further Russian attempts to interfere with the 2020 election process or indeed the European elections in May is just something that the security services of Western countries are going to have to reckon with on their own terms. I mean, the Russian official line on this is we were not involved. And as far as they're concerned, they are disowning the claims that have been made by Mueller in this investigation and by Attorney General William Barr. And um, they don't really have very much more to add at this stage. So, Steve, it, it remains still pretty much the status quo that the uh, intelligence organizations of the West will have to be on their mettle uh, to ensure that attempts by any foreign powers fail. 
Jeff, fantastic summary. Thank you very much indeed for that. And we'll, uh, we'll see you a little bit later on, of course, in programming in the show this morning. Let's get to Indajit Palmer, who is Professor of International Politics at City University. And Indajit, very good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Well, look, let me just put something on the line here. You have been highly critical of the president in what you've been writing and what you've said previously on this channel. I want that out there for our viewers to know where you're coming from. Secondly, what do you make of this as well? It has been in terms of the relationship between the president himself and indeed the Russians, what we know so far, absolutely the president is right. It's been a witch hunt against him in many ways as well, in his words, not mine, of course. Uh, a total exoneration about his relationship with the Russians as well. Have the critics, uh, including yourself, wasted too much time on the Mueller investigation when they could have been looking at other things, perhaps policy issues, to concentrate on in their criticism of the president? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I'd just say, uh, as you, I'd agree with you, I have been very critical and I remain very critical of the Trump administration. But I've also been very critical of the investigations which, uh, which have surrounded this administration, inauguration and so on. And I have actually written articles which have in the title McCarthyite. And that is to say, I think there are some political functions of this whole set of investigations, including Mueller, which have a degree of plausibility to them. And hence the investigations have been very quite deep and broad. But on the other hand, I think I've always stated there are a number of other reasons, functions, politically, that these investigations have had. I never really myself ever claimed um, and in fact broadly uh, criti criticized the idea that he was any kind of Russian agent colluding with the Russians. Um, my own view is that this was actually much more of a distraction from the real causes of the defeat of the Democratic Party and particularly Hillary Clinton in 2016. And but there are a number of other reasons as well. I, I don't think this report and the, the whole plethora of investigations which are going on fully exonerates President Trump and his um, various appointees. Well, we need to see it. That's from the thing, colluding with Russia. Based on yeah. what you're saying, uh, the tone does sound very similar to the dissatisfaction that's been expressed by the Democrats on the back of uh, th this breaking news. So what happens next politically? Do you think the Democrats will still and try and push for impeachment perhaps because that's still a lingering doubt about whether that would be a politically wise move one and whether there would now be enough evidence to push for impeachment? What do you think happens? Actually, that's a really interesting question. I I'm not entirely sure which way it'll go, but the leadership has been very firm on the question of impeachment. That is, they don't want it. There have been some noises from within the ranks of the Democratic Party in the Congress and elsewhere for impeachment. But I think this report's conclusions, as far as we know them, leave open a very uh, ambiguous position, which I suspect is probably the best place for the Democratic Party in the House and uh, Senate to be. That is, they can carry on because there's enough of a whiff of uh, uh, bad practice. Enough people have been sent to prison on the basis of the uh, findings of the Mueller report and others as well. This gives them uh, further reason to continue. Do you think that depends on which lens you're looking through? Because the uh, fact that there's been no criminal charges lobbed against the president on Russia collusion mm. almost effectively clears him. It's a very simple message to get mm. through on the airwaves and Trump is very, very good at that. Yes. Isn't it dangerous for the Democrats to keep on pushing because it does lean into this narrative of being a witch yeah. hunt, trying to find something, anything to try and lay on the president yes. at this point? Well, I think we need now to pay attention to the House Oversight and Reform Committee. The House Oversight and Reform Committee just a few weeks ago uh, began investigating uh, the desire among Michael Flynn and other appointees of the Trump administration 
to lift sanctions on Russia in regard to nuclear program uh, agreements which were being made to set up and build nuclear plants right through the Gulf states. And that, but because there was going to be some collaboration between Russian companies and American ones, the lifting of sanctions was a necessity. And that investigation, I think, is one worth keeping an eye on. Because um, that suggests a very concrete reason to be less, uh, more friendly towards the Russia than you might otherwise have been. I am looking down a very extensive list, including um, Bernie Sanders, uh, Beto Rourke and others as well, Jay Inslee, people, a lot of people on this side of the Atlantic haven't heard of John Hickenlooper as well. These are a generation of Democrats who think they can get the candidacy of the Democrats to go up against the president in 2020. Is this report and what we know so far going to damage the cause of Elizabeth Warren and the rest of that enormous uh, list of people? Or actually, um, actually, can they draw a line between what the Democrats have done looking backwards and what these candidates yes. offer going forward? They're going to suffer the consequences of their actions. They have largely without evidence been accusing the Trump of being basically a sort of puppet of Putin. Mm. And anyone who was critical of anything which occurred in the United States, he said the country is broken, there's carnage and so on. A lot of people who are opponents of Trump were saying exactly the same kind of thing. But to suggest that, that because he was critical of the American dream and that the fact that the American dream was broken and so on, that many people were disappointed, that somehow he was sowing discord, which was aligned with the, the Putin agenda. Now, Sanders, Warren and others have been on that bandwagon and they're going to have to pay the price. It's not to say yeah. that Trump is, uh, is exonerated or not guilty of various other things. There, there would be the most logical thought now, seems mm. if, 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 it's, if he's exonerated, let's all see the report, mm. I guess. But that, that's a, a battle to be held in America. Uh, thank you very much indeed for coming early on a Monday morning for you. That's I know right. that's tough for anyone, let alone academic as well. Because I mean, you <laughs> no, tend to burn the midnight hour rather than minutes. getting up early. Don't you? Indeed, yes. nice to all see right, you. as ever. Indeed Palmer, who's professor in international uh, politics at City University. Uh, coming up next, the de uh, Brexit deadlock continues as uh, well, apparently about a million protesters marched in London. Plus, trade tensions were a major topic of discussion at the China Development Forum over the weekend. Here's a look at our coverage from Beijing. They are learning. They are learning that today's China is not Japan uh, 25 years ago, right? So don't use the tactics uh, dealing with Japan uh, for using with dealing with China. If you make a deal, um, it'll, it'll probably be carried out at the highest levels of China. Um, uh, as it gets further down, um, you know, it, it may need encouragement. First of all, it doesn't matter when the deal occurs, provided the environment that currently exists remains stable. But how does it feel? It feels by end of April. Theresa May will hold a cabinet meeting today updating ministers on Brexit following a difficult weekend that saw the British Prime Minister fail to make any headway on her agreement. Uh, May met with prominent hardline Brexiteers, including the former Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson and rebel Conservative MP Jacob Rees-Mogg, who took his 11-year-old son uh, to her Chequers country retreat in an effort to bring party members on side. The talks come amid speculation that some within May's party are plotting to oust her as leader. 
but key allies have denied those reports. Speaking to Sky News, the UK Chancellor Philip Hammond warned replacing the Prime Minister would not be helpful at this stage. This is not about the Prime Minister or any other individual. This is about the future of our country. Uh, and, and, and changing Prime Minister wouldn't help us. Changing party in government wouldn't help us. Um, we've, got, we've got to address the question of what type of Brexit is acceptable uh, to Parliament, what type of way forward Parliament can agree on, so that we can avoid what would be an economic catastrophe of a no-deal exit. Meanwhile, organisers say more than one million people marched on the streets of London on Saturday, demanding another EU referendum. That puts it on par with Britain's largest ever protest since the Iraq war march back in 2003. Protesters are calling for any Brexit deal to be put to a vote. So when it comes to investors this week, mm. what do they do around Brexit? And you think we're getting very close to the, the pointy end of a hard Brexit possibly still or, or a good outcome down the track, which would mean a positive type of Brexit, which would be good for the stock market. But I would make the point now after what we've seen on Wall Street, it clouds the view. Will there be much of a Brexit reaction? Because markets seem to have now turned south. And if you look at what we had last week, mm. we were seeing a little bit of benefit from the weakness in sterling that was supporting the UK stock market, the FTSE 100. I wonder if that trade just diminished now because of uh, a wobbling um, stock market. Well, I think uh, bond investors just do what every bond investor around the world is doing, which is buy bonds as well. Gilts are still issued by the Bank of England, that so they, they, you can't go bust on them when you're issuing your own paper. Uh, I think forex investors do what they're doing very well. If they think there's going to be a no deal, then they sell below 130. If they think there will be some deal or something changes at some stage, you carry on buying it above 130. We're trading 132, give or take the change at the moment. And as far as equity investors, then you're absolutely right. There are global factors at play here, certainly for all those dollar earners as well. So I, I, th I think that you know, the FTSE is trading pretty much in line with a lot of its European peers, despite the fact that people look at the dividend yield as a discount mechanism saying it's trading at a dividend uh, discount because of the higher yield. Maybe. So I think a lot of people just do exactly what they have been doing, trade the individual stocks, trade the momentum of global um, stocks uh, and trade Brexit as and when we get some news. Potentially caps the upside though when you've got a risk-off type environment, but magnifies the downside when you do have this level of risk. I wonder whether there is uh, some form of a trade too on Theresa May because the weekend the knives were out suggesting maybe it is still a matter of time before her job is going to be targeted. Oh, I think that goes without saying. She just won't name a date there. She won't right. give them that at the moment. But I think whether you're a Remain or a Brexiter in the Tory party, I think most people see for the next phase of negotiations, Mrs May perhaps will not be leading that. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.